0: We turn then in God's word, surprisingly, back to Matthew chapter nineteen. Matthew chapter nineteen. This passage, this section is a reminder to me. We're, we've been dealing with fifteen verses, right? And my guess is we've probably just barely scratched the surface so far how rich how deep is the depth of God's word how anyone could ever say I don't need to learn anymore I know it all I've read the book I know everything there is yeah but have you begun to scratch have you begun to look have you begun to analyze have you begun to think have you begun to apply that truth to your life as well. So last Lord's Day, we began with marriage and what are the foundation of marriage, the principles that lead to that foundation as found in God's word. Jesus answering the question then about divorce, which is really a marriage question, not a divorce question. This morning, Jesus Speaking of the children, and of drawing the children to him. Just, I I hesitate doing this because I might just keep going, okay? The passage in Acts, where Peter is addressing folks, and speaking about this promises to you and to your children. If you're not of a Reformed Presbyterian or infant baptism persuasion, what you do with that passage is this the promises to your children. Yes, when they grow up, the promise is to them. When they come to faith, the promise is to them. Now I want you to think for a minute. Peter is there that day. When Jesus says, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them. When Peter uses the word children, addressing Jewish people, understanding then that this would mean the babies and infants, do you think Peter? is just, oh, I'm going to forget about what Jesus said there that day, and I'm going to concentrate again on just adult people. The promise is just when your children become adults, when they become the next generation. No. The scripture is vivid there. You know why? Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Where do we find Jesus speaking of the infants? In the Gospel of Luke, there is no doubt that Peter, when he's standing there on Pentecost and says, this promise is to you and to your children, he's addressing the children that are with them, the children they're carrying, the babes, the infants, the little toddlers. This promise of grace is to you and to your children. But tonight, we return back earlier had said in the sermon we'd get to the remarriage issue, we did not get there. And perhaps that, for some of you, is is something that gnaws at you. Perhaps you're feeling overly guilty over this issue. So let's deal with it tonight. We're going to pick it up at verse 3 and read through verse 9. So it's 3 through 9. And Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. As far as the reading of God's word. Let's again pray and ask for God's blessing upon us. Our Heavenly Father, we come unto thee in this evening hour thankful for this opportunity to join in thy house and worship thee. As we open your book, Lord, and we see this portion, it may cause stress, it may cause uncomfortableness. We ask that thou will explain this word, and we ask that you will have Pastor Bob explain it to us, so that we may apply this to our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' holy and precious name, Amen. So there's two points to the message tonight. First of all, the return needed, and secondly, the remarriage issue. The return needed and the remarriage issue. What we need to return to, first of all, is Jesus' word there in Matthew 19, verse 9. Whoever divorces his wife, except for, in English, sexual immorality, but as we learned last Lord's Day, porniah, okay, it's not, P-O-R-N, and then you attach. It's P-O-R-N-I-A-H is how you break it down in the Greek, pornia. We need to come back to that word. That word of sexual immorality. That word that speaks about selling off or trading away or giving away one's sexual purity. Purity. And as I mentioned last Lord's Day, in a marriage, you see, when a husband and wife become that one flesh, it's not that we have now, oh, now we're impure because we've engaged in a sexual relationship. No, God sees that as pure. That's why He says already before sin enters the world, they shall become one flesh. It's a good thing, it's something God created this sexual relationship that is allowed within the confines of marriage. It's a blessed thing in the eyes of God because he created it. He designed it. He created males and females the way he did for that. So we don't lose our sexual purity when we have a sexual relationship with our spouse. But when it takes place outside of that confines, now it's the selling it off. Now it's to become impure. Now it's to add to that. And It would seem that the force that Jesus is driving with here and uh, what we have in our understanding of this is, is Jesus is looking at this in terms of a marriage relationship And when one of the two in a marriage relationship sells themselves off sexually for whatever reason there may be, that act of adultery, of pornaya, is a cause for the ending of the marriage contract. But the New Testament continues on with this. This isn't the only place we end here, right? The New Testament continues on and speaks about how we are to conduct ourselves as Christians in this world. Not only as husbands and wives, but as individual Christians. As 10-year-old boys, as 12-year-old girls, as 17-year-old boys. As 18 year old girls. How are we to conduct ourselves? How are we to act? How are we to act as married men? As married women? Okay? Is it only this crossing of the line? Is it only this quote act of adultery? That, that scripture is saying is out of bounds? Or is it more comprehensive than that? So let's look at. A couple of passages. Take your Bibles. Keep your finger at Matthew chapter 19. Let's go to Galatians. First of all, the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 5. Paul is setting us up in chapter 5 in verses 16 to 19 of saying... We don't live by the flesh, we live by the Spirit, and that each of these, the flesh, has its own way of life, but the Spirit has its way of life. For brevity, I want you to look just at verse 19 with me, and the next verses. Now, what are the works of the flesh? Now, the works of the flesh are evident. We know what is an evidence of the fact of something that is born of flesh and not of spirit. What are they? Hmm. Sexual immorality. The making of oneself to be sexually impure. The being an impure person from a sexual Point of view. Now notice, okay, we add to it impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay? We're we're living now, the church is existing in a Gentile world. The church is now in a pagan world. And in that pagan world, there's all sorts of sexual immorality going on. What does scripture say? What does the Holy Spirit tell us? Right? Those are works of the flesh. Those are not works of the Spirit. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We get somewhat that same flavor again. Chapter 5 begins with being an imitator of God. Walk in love as Christ loved himself for us. But, verse 3, sexual immorality... And all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this. Listen to this. In our day, in our age, in our culture, listen to this. You may be sure of this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure... Or who is covetous, that is an idolatry, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now don't let anybody deceive you with empty words," Paul goes on to say. So once again, another church existing in the midst of a very corrupt, pagan worship of that day and age, how are they to live? Have nothing to do with what you see going on around you. Not as a Christian, not as a believer. You imitate God, not the gods. You follow Christ, not the gods. Particularly in Ephesus, it would have been the goddess Diana in that regard. Turn with me to one more. We've got to go back to it. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is writing again to the church at Corinth. As you know, the the Corinthian church was pretty corrupt. A lot of evil going on within it. Especially sexual stuff was happening. Verse 21. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you. And I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier. And have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. Now who's he talking about? The world? No. He's talking about the church. And he's saying, I'm afraid that if I come to Corinth again, what I'm going to find is the worldliness and paganness of the world is in the church. That's what he's concerned about. The sexual immorality of the world. That selling of oneself off. So let me make four applications. Four applications in regards to coming back to this. Application number one. Be discerning in what you look at and listen to. We would probably all agree, but the warning would still need to be stated. Yes, pornography in its explicitness, of course. Well, you think you wouldn't have to say it, but it's needed and necessary in today's society, even within the church. This should not be named amongst us. This should not be going on. Be discerning. Yes, that's obvious. But be discerning about a lot of other things. Be discerning with your use of the internet and what images you're watching and seeing. Be discerning with movies. Well, it's only got three sex scenes and you only see naked people a couple of times. What's the harm in that? That, my friends, is the attitude of the world. It is not to be named in the church of God. Got to be discerning, folks. Sexual immorality is not to be named amongst us. We need to be discerning. We need to be careful. We need to be guided. Television programs more and more. Books, magazines, romance novels that create images in our minds of illicit things. Oh, I wish my husband would treat me more like that. I'm going to look for a guy who's more like that. I'm going to look for a girl who looks like this in Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. I wish my wife looked more like that than the way she does. Let not sexual immorality be named amongst you. See, Paul realized when he came back to Corinth, he was probably going to find it. It's sad how much may be found in the music we allow our children to listen to. The sexually immoral lyrics. Oh, it's just music. It's sin. It's perversion. It's wrong. Just as much, I'll say it, just as much as my generation ringing out, I'm on a highway to hell. Wow, what a great message! What a great message. Imagine. As a parent, singing that in front of your children and then coming to church, which is it? Which highway are you on? Saturday afternoon, you're on a highway to hell. Which highway, which road are you on today? Maybe that's why some children are confused in our society be discerning secondly be modest in your appearance we're not to invite we're not to elicit we're not to encourage sexual immorality as our society becomes less and less strict in regards to sexual morals so does attire disappear And so does too much exposure of the human body. Oh, but I'll I'll, I'll be different than the other kids at school. Good! You've been set apart by your baptism. You ought to be different. You ought to dress different than the world. So guys, throw away the Speedo. Throw it away. That which reveals too much should not be upon our bodies. That doesn't mean we have to look horrible. That doesn't mean we have to dress in burlap sacks. Of course not. But I think we all know the line, or at least we ought to know the line. And if we don't know the line, then we ought to ask somebody, Is this over the line? Is this too much? Is the way my son or the way my daughter dressing too provocative? Is it going too far? If we don't know what the limit is, if you're confused about the line, then ask. Talk. Discuss. Third, be guarded in your speech. Be careful the words you use. Don't use sexual terms. Don't use that four-letter word that refers to sexual intercourse. Refrain, cleanse it, remove it, should not be named amongst us. And perhaps just Perhaps be just be a little bit more aware of where culture is going. Understand what is happening in the world around us. Understand we are at war with a great deceiver. And the one the great deceiver desires, as the roaring lion, more than any other, is your children. And he's out there. He's out there in drag. before 2nd and 3rd grade students in our public schools. Where is the outcry? At least Jamestown had the common sense to say, no, we're not going to give any more money to a library that purchases books that go into sexual immorality. No, no more. How many of us even found out in our own community when we perhaps voted on that library issue, what does our library have and contain? Be aware of what's happening around us. We needed to return to that word, okay? Because I don't want you to think, and I I didn't want to leave the impression, and I'm afraid I did so last week by saying That that Jesus says, this is the ground upon which a divorce may occur. The act of adultery within a marriage, as if everything else then is perfectly okay. No. No. Parnaya. May it not even be named amongst us. The blessedness. Is that if we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I think we need to do that, okay? If we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we read the following verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then these words of marvelous, infinite grace. And such were some of you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. They're in church, they're in the Corinthian church. Look at that list grace, grace, God's grace. And so if these words that we go back to in chapter 19 of Matthew, this word, parniah, this sexual immorality, places you in a position where you're going, I guess there's no hope. Oh, yes, there is. For nothing is impossible with God. come to Christ, be washed, be cleansed. Secondly then is the remarriage issue. Okay? So we have verse 9, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So if you marry someone, if you get a divorce, after the act of sexual immorality is that acceptable the prohibition is again is if the divorce is for any other reason other than sexual immorality then you are the one committing adultery then you are the one involved in that now this is going to I, i'll try to make this short but turn with me to the book of romans chapter 7 let me let me let me help you At least understand what Jesus is saying and why Jesus is saying it. So in Romans 7, Paul uses this illustration of being released from the Old Testament ceremonial laws. Right? Verse 1 Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. There's more there, but, but just note what Paul is saying. Death ends a marriage relationship. And when the death occurs... Okay. The person is allowed to marry again, but if her husband dies, the end of verse 3, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So death brings about an end of the contract. Tell death, do us part. And when death occurs, that marriage relationship, that contract, Is then dissolved, and the person who is still living is allowed to remarry. You say, Well, what's that got to do with the whole issue of adultery and divorce? Okay? Second part. So, adultery, okay, this is the teaching of Romans. Secondly, Leviticus says in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, that if an individual is found having committed adultery, they were to stone them. They were to be given capital of punishment and they were to die. Okay? So in the case of adultery, if we're in the Old Testament, the case of adultery, a, a woman finds her husband in an adulterous situation. We'll use that, okay? Illustration. What happens? That husband is now stoned and is dead. What is she? Romans 7. She is now free to marry another. Why? Because a death has occurred. So the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. What Jesus is saying is this. Adultery can end a marriage. Doesn't have to. It isn't required. But it's an allowable thing. If the husband or the wife says, you committed adultery, I forgive you for that, I still take you as my wife, and I will honor our marriage vows. Do you? Yes. Okay, forward we go. But if the husband or wife says, you committed adultery, I no longer desire to live with you, you broke the marriage relationship by the act of adultery, What are they? What does adultery do? It brings about death. What Jesus is saying is the act of adultery breaks the marriage covenant because a death has occurred. That act of adultery is an act of death. Therefore, Even though it was, because in Jesus' day, you can't take anybody and stone them. That's part of the whole setup when the Pharisees come, you know, and say, we caught this woman in adultery and so on, okay? Should we stone her? Well, of course they can't stone her. The Romans don't allow that, right? Romans is the only one who can execute anybody. And they don't execute people for adultery. They'd never have a Caesar, right? They'd never have any rulers if they did it. Okay. So what Jesus is doing is he's, he's coming into the situation where there is no more death sentence for adultery, but he's saying the act of adultery is the death sentence. Therefore, Matthew nineteen nine, he or she, who we would say is the innocent party, is free to remarry. That's what he's given permission to. Why? Because the person who committed adultery is as good as dead. Because they broke the marriage covenant. They broke it. And it's till death do us part. And by the law of God of the Old Testament, adulterers are killed. Therefore, they're dead. Even though the civil government no longer enforces that, the spiritual government of God says they're dead. Marriage can be done. Marriage can be over. And the innocent person is now free to remarry. Now, that preached in some churches is going to get all sorts of articles written about me. But that's okay, because that's the word of God. Okay, I don't, I don't mind getting in trouble when it's the word of God. It's my own trouble Okay, that I get enough of. But you say, well, wait a minute. What about if the divorce wasn't for adultery? Mm. Now we're into the sticky wickets, aren't we? See, if it is adultery... Then the person who is innocent is free to remarry. What about if it isn't for adultery? Hey, let me take you through the scenarios. One, you're the innocent party. Well, Maybe I should say, so you're the one who left the marriage and sought a divorce and you didn't even have a biblical reason to do so. If you're the husband or wife who did that, and they and you are still single, you didn't get remarried again, you ought to seek reconciliation if possible. You ought to hear the word of God, submit to the word of God, and seek to be reconciled. Seek to work it out. Seek to repair. Seek to build up. If you were divorced for a non-biblical reason, you need to live single until one of the following things occurs. If reconciliation is not possible, then you need to live single until that spouse commits adultery. Or until that spouse remarries, making reconciliation an impossibility. Or, that spouse dies. Or, that spouse deserts the marriage relationship, and the church excommunicates them. And, Labels them or says of them, not labels, says of them they are now an unbeliever and are to be treated as such. That's not easy words. But I'll go back to last week. That's why we need to be careful about entering into a marriage relationship. Because it is, till death do us part. Unless adultery has occurred. And then the marriage doesn't need to be dissolved. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. We need to be very careful. This isn't something we rush in because we want to fit in with the other girls or the other guys our age. This is something we have to do because this, this is, we have to think about this situation. If this person leaves me for a non-biblical reason, I have to remain single until. That's hard. And my guess is, I don't know. Okay, I'm. I I'm, I'm, if if you think, Pastor Bob, you dug it into my file and you're reading it, I I did not. I have nobody in mind, I have nobody's picture sitting on my desk while I wrote this sermon thinking, this is who I'm preaching to tonight. I don't know. But my guess is there's probably some, okay, if not in this building, at least hearing the sound of my voice who are going to hear it, who are going to be, oh my, I did this all wrong. And in some of your cases, the sad thing is the church did not help you. (laughs) That's why you see an easy view of divorce does not help. Does not help. It only complicates the situation. When a church honors the word of God, it is much simpler and easy and more protection for you as that other spouse who's not involved in seeking to break the marriage, is not involved in the adultery. The church is there to be your protection, to be the one who comes to your side and helps and assists. Remember, the government is supposed to be on the side of the righteous, but to punish the wrongdoer? Too often what happens in churches today is the wrongdoer gets elevated And the one who is innocent is the one who is castigated. That should not be. That should not be in the church of Jesus Christ. That was wrong. It is sinful for the church to take that stance. But what about you? Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater Than all my sin. I got divorced for a wrong reason. But grace is greater than your sin. I got remarried before I should have. Or I didn't have the right circumstance and situation in which I should have been remarried. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. Ah, but the blood of Christ comes and washes and cleanses us. Makes us whiter than snow. Well, that means I can just trust God's grace and I can go forward with doing the wrong thing. We can't use grace as a license for our sin. It comes with its own troubles. It comes with its own difficulty. But there is grace. There's grace for the adulterer. There's the grace for the divorced. There's grace for the remarried. There's grace. I don't dispense that grace. A church order doesn't dispense that grace. Elders don't dispense that grace. But there is a God. There is a God. And He is the God of grace. I'm grateful it's not left up to the hands of men or courts or sessions left up to a God of infinite grace. And upon that we can then heartily sing Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain but he's washed me whiter and snow father thank you these have not been easy subjects to deal with over the course of these weeks we live in a world and in a society that does not honor your word does not honor your truth and too often even in the church of Jesus Christ we find that to be true And we, Father, certainly at Little Farms are not perfect. We don't have this down, uh, all neatly sewed up. And yet, Father, we we do seek to follow your word and to apply that word as best as we can. Give to the, the men, Father, who serve as elders in this congregation wisdom and discernment in these matters. Give to parents wisdom and discernment in raising and training their children. Not only, Father, in, in the things uh, that, that we usually speak of, but in marriage and in divorce as well. Help us to instruct them wisely. Help each of us, Father, to live discerning lives in this day and age in which we live. May we be willing, Father, to follow you at all costs. May we be willing, Father... Not to be stingy about grace, but to realize yours is an infinite grace given to us through Christ. In his name we pray and God's people say, Amen.